0: Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. We're in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Will you stand with me as we read through this passage together? Acts chapter 2, and there I'll begin reading in verse 1. "'Because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. "'And they were amazed and astonished, saying, "'Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? "'And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language?' Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Please be seated. There's a few things we're going to understand about God in this particular passage. Um, But I'm going to pause for just a moment and and just give some introductory comments if I could. A friend of mine used to describe, if you were looking at your Bible in chapter 1, you see that this book is entitled, The Acts of the Apostles. Because it's the apostles that take front and center in the book of Acts. But he used to say that this book would better be titled, The Acts of the Holy Spirit Done by the Apostles. Okay? Just let that thought settle in for a little bit. And I want to talk about that because often we don't engage really in discussions about the Holy Spirit that are very productive. That is conversations about the Holy Spirit that we can find passages in the Scripture that explain to us what he actually is doing on our behalf, how he is convicting the world of sin, and how he's engaging with us. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? In fact, Francis Chan wrote an entire book about this subject calling the aspect of the Holy Spirit the forgotten God. Now, Fellowship Bible Church um, grew up out of largely a Baptist heritage, And if that's your heritage, sometimes we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit much. But the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit a lot. In its its growth over the last uh, some nearly 30 years now, we've added folks from all sorts of denominational backgrounds, Methodist, Assemblies of God, Pentecostals, Catholics, um, Presbyterians, and if I didn't list your church, I'm sorry, but you're in there too, okay? We're glad you're here. But that means that with all of those different thoughts coming together, the only thing that can hold us together is going to be what the Bible actually says about the subject. In fact, I think that's what brings people to fellowship or maybe brings them back. The fact that we try to explain the Bible in a way that has application today. And so we start with the text. We don't start with the denominational heritage. We just start with the text. If you grew up in an Assemblies of God or Pentecostal uh, in, environment, we are thrilled you're here. There may be places in that where you might wish that, frankly, we were just a little bit more exciting than we are, okay? Hey, we wish that too, so help us out, okay? Um, but please know this, that in your background, you may have seen what I might call abuses of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you right now, we've all seen abuses, Abuses of people claiming to be Christians who didn't necessarily follow Christ in what they did, or in how they acted, or in what they said about Christ or the Spirit. And I say all of that because what we're going to see today is this discussion of the gift of tongues that was given to the early apostles. And it may not be exactly what you learned, or even what you may have experienced, my hope is that you'll see that it is what the Scripture is saying about this particular occurrence in Acts chapter 2. And I think it's duplicated in Acts chapter 10. Now, there's other passages in 1 Corinthians 12, for instance, and others that unpack it slightly differently. But my goal is that come the end of the service this morning, you'll say, oh, I know what's going on in Acts chapter 2. So with that in mind, here's what I want you to understand. God directs the mission. Last week, for the last two weeks, we've talked about the mission. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. If you know the geography, you know Jerusalem is the center. Those are the people whom you know. Judea is a little further out. That's the people who are like you, but you don't yet know. Samaria is, uh, Samaritans weren't like the Jewish people. People, and that's why they avoided them. Those are people who aren't like me. So we would say, these are the people that I know. These are the people that I don't know. These are the people who aren't like me. And the ends of the earth are the people who are far from me in another part of the planet. What, you, what I want you to see is that God said, this is the mission, and I'm directing the mission. We don't come up with Fellowship Bible Church, a new mission. Okay, We don't come up with a new vision. We say, how do we do what's going on in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? So here's the first one. God empowers those who are surrendered to him. Okay? God empowers those who are surrendered to him. And notice that word in Acts chapter, um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So here's the thing you've got to know. God empowers those who are surrendered to him. And we see that in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Because the text says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There was a natural power power to those who were surrendered to him. So let's unpack, if we can, what that marks of surrender are. So there's a few of them. Here we go. When we're surrendered, we pray before we plan. Okay? When we are surrendered, we pray before we plan. Like if you're a planner, that's great. We need you. And your family probably needs you, okay? But if you plan first and pray later, you're going to have it backwards. In fact, remember That in Acts chapter 1, this is what we see that they did. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. This is after Jesus has ascended, right? And there's going to be 10 days, roughly, between where Jesus ascended and while they wait on the power of the Holy Spirit, from the 40 days that Christ was on the earth to Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room and they came back to Jerusalem. And these were, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Everybody's praying. That's what they're doing. Because in prayer, there is this natural dependence that I can't do it all. I therefore need God to help me. That's why I'm calling out to him for prayer. In fact, the idea of supplication in the scriptures is actually that word. It means literally I am prostrate before God. I am dependent upon God. I'm not running forward saying I can do this on my own. Here's the second idea. When we're surrendered, we put others before our agenda. When we're surrendered, we put others before our agenda. You're going to see this at the very beginning of Acts chapter 2. For there we read in Acts chapter 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, um, wait for the Holy Spirit. They go to the upper room. They're up there 10 days. Peter at one stage stands up and says, listen, we need to appoint another disciple, another uh, of the 12, another apostle. And they do, right? But nobody is leading this. Notice how the end of this text, verse 2, says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. There isn't a person up front saying, I know the way. Follow me. They're all waiting. And they're all waiting, essentially, on one another. I love this language. All together in one place. All together. Now, Paul writes in other places. in, In Corinthians, for instance, he says, There's so many divisions among you, and in part I believe it. Okay? They're in the same place, the Corinthian church, but they're divided. And here, in this passage, they're all together. Here's what I understand about division in a church, Um, sadly, from experience. That division happens when people start to promote agendas. But when everybody's concerned about everybody else, there's not going to be a tendency for that same degree of division. It's not that they can't happen. It's just that we're concerned not about our agenda, but about others. They were all together. And that's a mark of surrender. Here's the third one. When we're surrendered, we place God's desires before our own. When we're surrendered, we place God's desires before our own. That's right. It's not about what we want. It's about what God desires and what God wants. When we're surrendered, we place God's desires ahead of our own. And and note this. Again, I want to go back here if I can. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is beautiful. It's this reminder that they were filled. Now, the verb there, were filled, is in the present passive um, idea, which means it's present. It's got to be done every day. Okay. Every day you've got to get up and say, okay, I'm willing to surrender to what God wants me to do with this day. And when we don't surrender, when we've got an idea and we run ahead and we trample over people to get our agenda done, we've got to pause and say, wait a minute, what just happened there? Um, and then we repent from that. And then we say, okay, tomorrow I'll start a new day. And in that new day, because it's present, it's not past, it's not future, it's present tense, I'm going to be passive means I'm receiving it, I'm not driving ahead and doing it, okay? I wish to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's this great reminder for us that that's what it looks like when we are surrendered. God empowers those who are surrendered to Him. Let me talk about this second idea, if I could. God accomplishes His work by making the impossible possible. God accomplishes His work by making the impossible possible. One of the things we believe at Fellowship Bible Church is that the Bible's true. We don't try to explain away the miracles. We don't try to say, how could the Red Sea be parted? How could a man put all those animals in an ark? We take them at face value and believe them to be true. We don't try to correct them. Okay? So one of the beauties of the miracles in the Bible is that they should encourage us that our God takes impossible things and makes them possible. And that means whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're dealing with, if you say, that's it, I quit. Okay? I just want to remind you, you serve a God who takes the impossible And makes it possible. You say, Phil, do you have any idea how long I have prayed for this person? God takes the impossible and makes it possible. Years ago, I remember we had a gentleman before he uh, graduated to heaven. He used to sit right down here in about the second or third row. And he came to Christ after, you ready for this? His wife had prayed for him for 50 years. Five zero, okay? 50 years. She prayed for him for 50 years. And I remember when I met their adult children, they said, Oh, yeah, that was my mom. Rocking chair, log cabin. I bet you didn't know there was a log cabin in South Jersey, but there is, okay? Log cabin, rocking chair. She'd get up early in the morning, she'd have her Bible open, she'd be praying for Dad, rocking in the chair. And 50 years later, that man had this unbelievable conversion that was just miraculous. Because our God takes impossible things and makes them possible. Now, what you're going to see in this passage is things that are impossible, and that's why I'm going to use the word imagine to explain them, okay? Because things that are impossible, we can't really say, oh, I know that would happen. We can kind of say, I guess I could imagine that, okay? So, let's start with this one. Imagine if a known language could be spoken instantly without ever having learned it. Just imagine like, uh, how many of you speak in, in our congregation, okay? How many of you speak another language fluently, okay? Not, I, I know how to ask to go to the bathroom in this language, okay? Fluently. You speak another language fluently besides English. Can I see your hands? Just a handful of us, okay? The re- My hand's not up, okay? Just a handful of you, okay? The rest of us are true Americans, okay? We speak one language, that's all we know, okay? But just imagine if you didn't have to pick up the internet to learn the language. You just woke up tomorrow and bam, just like that. You spoke the language fluently. You'd say, that's impossible. That's right. It's impossible. To speak a known language instantly without having learned it. Now, for just a moment, let me show you how Acts chapter 2 explains the idea of tongues. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or different tongues is a way we can understand the Greek language there. But look at verse 6. And this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, which means these are people who all of a sudden, when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them, did something that was impossible. They spoke another language fluently, having never learned it, having never practiced it. That's remarkable. This isn't an ecstatic kind of utterance. This is a language that they didn't know, but they could now speak. And I just want you to fathom this for a moment. Remember the Tower of Babel? Everybody spoke one language. They all knew what they were doing. And God said, listen, now that they all communicate in one language, there is nothing impossible for them to do. So he confuses their languages. And you can kind of picture it. The guys at the bottom saying, hey, send a brick up to the top of the Tower of Babel. But now he's saying it in some language the guy doesn't understand. And so he just runs around saying, I can't understand you, right, until he finds somebody who speaks like him. And then they find a a woman who speaks like them. And then they kind of move off in their own people group. And then they move off in their own people group because the language divided But here, here, the gospel is so important that God has them hear it in their own language. It's impossible. I love the way that Dr. Charles Simeon writes about it. He says, The miracle itself was enabling the apostles, without any previous study, To speak fluently whatever language was most familiar to their respective hearers. Can you imagine? Like you could walk up to a person and say, oh, you speak German? Huh, let me talk to you in German. You could walk up to somebody else and say, you speak Spanish? Let me talk to you in Spanish. Where did you learn it? I don't know. I just started to speak it. That's the miracle. In fact, I love what Simeon goes on to say. Whatever language was most familiar to their respective hearers and to communicate unerring information on the great subject of religion, which till that hour, they very imperfectly understood. (laughs) That's hysterical. That means these are apostles that didn't know what they were talking about. They instantaneously went to language school, bang, and went to seminary, bang, just like that. And they knew it all, right? You say, that's impossible. You bet it's impossible because God makes the impossible possible. Now imagine, here's the next idea. If your senses could detect that the supernatural had occurred, this is a miracle. It's a miracle. That your senses could detect that the supernatural had occurred. You could see it. You could hear it. You could experience it. And you could say there's no other explanation for this. And that's exactly what's happening in Acts chapter 2. For it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, note this, let me back up, what makes a miracle in many cases a miracle is that it can happen precisely in time and in place. Like uh, we saw a rushing wind back in September a year ago, right? A rushing wind that came through, uh, came down over, jumped across, knocked down trees, knocked down trees, just messed with some of your houses, kept going down breakneck road. We saw a rushing wind. But we didn't design that it would happen on the 50th day okay, at a very specific time and a very specific place. We don't have that ability. That's impossible. But here it is. On the day of Pentecost, on the 50th day, they were all together in one place. Okay, there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Everybody in that room would have never forgotten it. They would have said, remember the sound? Yeah, I remember the sound. It verifies that there is something supernatural when we actually can see it and sense it with our senses. And note this in verse 3, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. It would have looked like this, Now, you know how this works, right? If something is above you, it's out of your line of vision. You can see everybody else, but you can't see you, which is why, like when you eat that bagel with cream cheese tomorrow, you better check a mirror or have a good friend, right? Because you can't see what's on your face, but they can. So just picture this. All of a sudden in the room, there's this rushing wind, and then there is appears what appears like okay, uh, fire on top of their head. Right? And it, again, it's, the text is very clear. It appears like. That's how they could just, Luke would describe it. It wasn't true fire. You know, their heads weren't on fire. But, but it, was, it was this idea that they could see something floating above everybody's head. And I love this. We'll get there in a second. It just wasn't one or two. It just wasn't the most spiritual in the group. It just wasn't the apostles. It says that it occurred to all of them. Now just think with me about this for a moment. Imagine your senses could detect that the supernatural had occurred. Okay. Now, you know already um, that from this text, it is people who speak instantly like that, a known language that they'd never learned. So I've asked some friends to help me with this, because we're going to kind of assimilate what actually happened in Acts chapter 2. So if my friends would come up with me real quick. And uh, I'm going to kind of get them positioned, okay? And I just want you to get a feel for what it might have been like in that upper room, okay? So I'm going to tell you in advance, okay? Um, If it's young children or something, you're about to get a little freaked out. Don't worry about it, okay? Um, But I want you to imagine what it would have been like, okay? You're in the upper room. You've been waiting and praying for 10 days. And all of a sudden, this is what happens. One. Yeah. you are some people said, unique, Man, they've been drinking, okay? That's exactly what happened. But now what, what happens is so important. What happens is these people are here speaking instantaneously in another language that they didn't know before then. And by the way, when you read those names, there's 16 different languages listed in that list. So I only gave you four. I'm only a quarter of the way there. Can you imagine if I gave you 16 people across the front? Okay. But here's what happens. These individuals walk out into... Uh, probably the temple court, because people would gather there in the temple court. And then when they got out in the temple court, somebody would recognize their language. So, come here, guys. Come here real quick. And they'd say, hey, well, wait a minute. We're in Jerusalem, and this person isn't speaking. Uh, uh, let's see. Let, let's, yeah, come on, Greg and Becky. Okay. You guys can come on up, too. Because you hear your language. And so you gather right here to listen. And everybody says amen, right? Because you guys are good Ukrainians, okay? It's I right. Okay, that's great. They heard the Ukrainian language and they went there. Okay, over here, let's see, all of a sudden, you guys hear your language. Come on, come on, come on. Come on. And all of a sudden, you hear your language. So you step up and this is what you hear. You don't have to go up on the steps. Right here is good. There you go. And while well, they're waiting, okay, come here. That's what you get for sitting too close. Come here, come here, come here. <laughs> we got an older group that listen there, but you guys wanna, you guys recognize this dialect. Okay, just the three of you. There you go. Mom and dad get the day off. Come here, come here. Here you go. You guys step forward because you recognize this language. Great. And how about you? Let's see. Right here. Come on, Russells. Come on. Because you recognize this language. Juan 3:16 Porque de tal manera amó Dios al mundo que ha dado su hijo unigénito para que todo aquel que en él cree no se pierda, mas tenga vida eterna. Now for just a moment you might have actually recognized that. Okay, that's cool. You have the gift of interpretation just like that. Okay. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to imagine what just happened. There's this mighty rushing wind, and even people outside of the upper room hear it because the multitude starts to gather. and all of a sudden, everybody's speaking, and they say, wait, wait a minute. How do I understand this person in my language? Okay. You know why? Because our God makes the impossible possible. Now, some of you are saying, how many of you know what they were saying? Can I see your hands? Well, this is great, so we need an interpreter here. So we're just going to say it all together. What they were saying in different language. Well, first of all, I know you're curious, so we'll just do it. Give me the language you were speaking in. Ukrainian. French. Malayalam language. Spanish. And what were they saying? For God so loved the world that he that gave, he gave his own one only son, son that, that, that whoever, whoever believes in, believes in him, him shall not, not perish but, but have, have everlasting life. life. That's right. Now, this is what was happening. And I want you to see it and understand it. It was an absolute miracle. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled it. Right? You say, well, man, it'd be great if we had that thing going on today, right? You bet it would be great. Like Jason and Ace and I wouldn't have been lost in Poland half the time, right? We were always trying to find somebody who spoke some English. See, if you've ever visited another country, you're just, as an American, saying, English, 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 English. Okay. We don't have it today, but what we have is the ability to translate the Bible and other works into other languages. And that is our call, as the Holy Spirit enables it. Okay, you guys can be seated. Great, great. And now you know that at Fellowship Bible Church, we've actually spoken in tongues, in the Acts 2 way. And that's what's happening. And again, I just want you to see it's about what the text says, not about what we have experienced. Imagine if your senses could detect the supernatural that occurred. Here's the final idea here. Imagine if God himself would indwell each of those who believe. Imagine if God himself would indwell each of those who believe. Because I think what's actually happening in the text is this picture. Just look at it real quick. The fire on their heads. If you are a Jewish person and you knew your Old Testament well, you would remember that the fire like that meant This, you would remember that the Spirit of God led, as the book of Exodus says, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them all along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and night. And you would remember this image. So when you saw this image, what would you think? You would immediately say, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit is no longer indwelling a building but he is indwelling the individual, which is exactly what the Bible teaches. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? you be bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You and I, as Christians, are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. Here's the last idea. God desires for each of us To help him reach the world with the good news. That's right. You cannot read Acts chapter 2 and not realize that God could have found a whole host of ways to communicate the gospel to the people who were in Jerusalem. And instead, he chose to use the people that were there to communicate the gospel. And if anybody said, "Uh, I I don't speak any languages, he said, took care of that. If they say, I don't know what I'm going to say, poof, took care of that. He had them involved. And that still is the application for today. God desires for each of us to help him reach the world with the gospel. And that teaches us a couple things. Here they are quickly. God uses the least likely for his glory. Now, I had really cool people standing up on the stage who know a lot more about some things than I probably would know. But these are referenced in the gospel, in in the Acts record, as these are Galileans, right? Because the Galileans were... um, not necessarily known for being the best and the brightest, And yet God chose those who were not the best and the brightest. A number of years ago, um, Kim had purchased for me this little block of wood. If you are familiar with the movie Hoosiers, you know that um, it's a story of Indiana basketball. We both grew up in Indiana. I love basketball. That's, you're kind of born with a basketball in your hand when you go home from the hospital. That's what they give you, okay? You know, so that's kind of it. So she had purchased a little block of wood that was taken from the gym where, uh, that was the original school uh, that, um, in, in Indiana where the Hoosiers idea came from, the movie came from. And it was cool. It, was like, it had a part of the stripe on it, like I had probably the free-throw line or something. So, so she got this for me, and I had this idea that I was going to put it together in a box. So I took it to a friend of mine and said, here, put the video cover in there with this little block of wood. And I had a picture of the guys who were now like 75 years old, and they'd all signed the picture and everything. I said, put this together. And he went home, and here's what he did. He, he said, by the way, you know, I hope you don't mind, I added this factor. He said, I, I looked up the definition of Hoosiers, okay, what that means. And he said, I put the definition right here for you. Okay. And uh, I said, oh, cool. Like, I don't even know what Hoosiers means. And there it was. Uh, Hoosiers. Someone from Indiana. Boisterous, uncouth, uneducated. <laughs> I said, wow. Like, I wonder who came up with that definition. The people in Ohio? Okay, like, you know. Okay. <laughs> so here's your picture. People have certain reputations. Okay. Uh, and, and the Galileans had a reputation of not necessarily being the most educated. And so think about this. That's why the people say, these guys know all these languages. They're Galileans. And the application for us is great. God uses the least likely for his glory. Whatever your status, you're included. Okay? No excuses. No excuses. This is a mission. You can say, I don't know enough. I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing. If when I'm trying to share G- the good news of Jesus with somebody, I'm afraid I'm going to get it wrong. Okay, I just want to tell you, God used the Galileans. That's the point. He uses the least likely for his glory. There's another thing in the text, though, that's worth noting. Because if you've ever shared the gospel with someone and been rejected, it's just like, wow, did I do it wrong? Okay? God knows not all will follow him. And we actually find that in the text. Just look with me in Acts chapter 2. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They're speaking in our language. And all, look at these words, We're amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. Uh, if you've ever shared the gospel, you know that you get these various responses. Some are amazed. Wow, God died for me? Okay. Some are perplexed. "Hmm, It's interesting. I never heard that before. i got to think about that. Some mock. No way I'm going to believe that. can't be true. Okay. And here's what I want you to see. God knows that in advance. God knows that when the gospel is shared, not all will follow him. And so that's why we say it this way. Whatever the response, don't take it personally. Okay. Whatever the response, don't take it personally. Say, oh, I failed. No, no, you didn't fail if you shared and should compassionately. The gospel. Just because they didn't respond doesn't mean you failed. I love that. Because when I look at desires, God for each of us to help him reach the world with the good news, here's what I understand: Whatever your status, you're included. That's right, you're on the team. Okay, but someone keep doing it. That's the truth of the gospel of Acts two. The power of the Holy Spirit is such, but that, and we pray that we have unpacked it in a way with clarity and understanding. That's true. To the meaning of the text. Thank you, Lord, for those who come, to so many different places, so many different denominations. I pray that together we will study Your Word and do Your Word, and and grow and love one another better. So we can improve in that regard, and we humbly surrender. Let's do that. But believing strongly that we have a God, it's impossible. Possible. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.